continue in our study through this book. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, I've found that it's been very valuable to me because Nehemiah is a book about leadership. It's about leading people. And uh, what you'll find in this book is valuable insight to anybody that desires or needs to lead a group of people. And Nehemiah was the type of person that inspired change amongst God's people. He was able to, uh, you look at him, and he had a very valuable role that he played. He started off as a cupbearer, you remember, working for the king in Persia. And you remember he began to pray. God began to work and move, answered his prayer, and uh, brought it before the king. The king noticed that he was sad, and you remember how God had given him, and just that moment he began to pray and ask God to open up a door. And uh, it was a valuable lesson. I don't know if you remember it, but a valuable principle is the fact that you can move people by God through prayer. Very great lesson to learn. And uh, he certainly saw that happen with the king. And so what happened was is that Nehemiah ends up coming back to Jerusalem Remember his first job, cupbearer, second job was builder. He began to rebuild the walls. And then from there, you remember what happened? Yeah. Uh, that's when all the problems began to happen for him. But he was able to rally the people. And in the middle of all the enemy and all of the, the resistance that came from the outside, God answered their prayer. And within, what was it, 40 days, 52 days, something like that, that they were able to rebuild the walls to complete what they hadn't been able to do in 70 years. And it happened because Nehemiah was able to inspire the people to move them in that direction. What you're going to find is this. The first six chapters, Nehemiah is the one that's leading them. What happens from there is there is an actual leadership shift that happens that we covered last week, and that was when uh, and what ends up happening is Ezra, the priest, ends up leading the people in a spiritual revival. Because what happened was is that the people of God began to return to the word of God. And as he began to proclaim it and he read the word from probably around 6 in the morning all the way till noon, he read God's word in Hebrew, all right? These people had been living in Persia, speaking Aramaic, and... Uh, here they come back, and here's this guy that stands behind a wooden pulpit. He stands up, and he reads God's word, and, and the people uh, are like, you know, they're, they're just, it says that they were attentive to God's word. And God's spirit began to move across the people, and it ignited a flame, a spark inside their hearts. And what happened is after he had read the word, there was a group of men that went out and explained God's word for them to understand it in such a way that the people began to weep and cry because they remembered how far they had gone from the Lord. And there was a revival that took place in Jerusalem, all because this man named Ezra, all right, had begun to read God's word and the people's hearts returned to the Lord. Now, what I want us to do tonight is we're going to be looking at another aspect. Yes, revival starts when people of God begin to return to the word of God. But folks, listen, it's not just necessarily all about Bible knowledge. Do you recognize that? In the Christian life, you can have all kinds of Bible knowledge, but it never impacts your heart. You know, uh, they say that you, you come out of Bible school and people are all ready to do something. I'll tell you what, I look back at those times, man, I was an idiot. Like, I wasn't ready to do anything. Like, you, you have all these facts and you have this information. My wife, don't say amen, all right? And so, um, so you have all this information, but you don't have any wisdom. 
You don't have the experience. You don't know what it's take to, to, to be able to take it from knowledge and put it into biblical wisdom. Uh, I heard a story about a young, proud man that he came to Socrates and he said, uh, Socrates, I want some wisdom. And so Socrates heard him. He said, uh, you know, you want wisdom. So he walked the man through the streets. Y'all probably are familiar with the story. He walked him through the streets. He took him out to the sea and he asked the man, he said, they're about chest deep in the water. And he says, now tell me what it is that you want again. And the man said, Socrates, I want wisdom. I want knowledge. And so what Socrates did, he took two hands and he pushed him underneath the water. And he held him underneath it for 30 seconds and then he let him back up again. And he said, what is it that you want? He says, I want knowledge. So Socrates grabbed him again and he plunged him underneath the water And this time he held him down for, went 30 seconds, went by, went all the way up to 45 seconds, and the man pops back up again. What is it that you want? Not being too bright, he said, I want knowledge. And Socrates grabbed him again and he pushed him back underneath the water. A whole minute went by and he finally comes back up and he says, what is it that you want? He said, I want air. (laughs) And he said, when you want wisdom that bad, you'll get it. And wow, what a valuable lesson that is. Hey, folks, listen, in our day and age uh, among Christians, what we really need, we have a lot of people that have Bible knowledge, especially uh, in a church where, you know, we have a history, a legacy of of a pastor, you know, that preached God's word. And we are familiar with the scriptures. But, folks, my prayer is that we would move beyond just Bible knowledge and we would get into the category of wisdom. You understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is, is you can has a, have a reservoir of facts in your mind, right? You can have know all these things. You can know words that are in the original language. And fantastic, that's great that you know that. But folks, what's even more valuable than knowing things in their original tense, you know, their original language, you know what I've found? Man, the people whose lives have been impacted by the word of God are people that know how to take the knowledge and the facts, and they know how to apply it to their life, folks, that's biblical wisdom. It's the experience that allows you to take the facts, the the truths of Scripture, and you are able to begin to apply it to your life in such a way that it impacts it, in such a way that it's in accordance and in obedience to the Word of God, folks. That's biblical wisdom, and not everybody has it. Folks, when we come to this passage, we find that there's a group of men that desire to have wisdom. Uh, I love what one person said. One person said, knowledge comes, but wisdom lingers. I I like that because knowledge, you can forget facts. But folks, if you're able to apply the wisdom of the scriptures to your life, that'll impact everything. And and folks, that's, have you grown in biblical wisdom? Have, have you been able to take the truths that you've learned and been able to apply it so that when uh, people see your life, they see how it's impacted it? And see, that's exactly what happened in the book of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah had gotten up and he stood up and he read God's word. Folks, that was what? When the people heard God's word, what was it that they gained from it? They gained knowledge. That's, that's a good first step. Folks, hey, that's why we do things like Awanas with our kids. We want them to memorize scripture. We want them to know the Bible facts. 
But folks, even more than that, what do they need to do? It's not just learning the facts. It's not just learning, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. My son was quoting that on the way to church tonight uh, from uh, Psalm 23. And you're sitting here, he's like, I'm going to say it by myself this time. And he goes through the and be like, great, I love that. But folks, when he begins to understand what it means that the Lord's my shepherd, and he begins to learn that the Lord's the one that leads him, and he needs to trust his leading, folks, that's biblical wisdom. And folks, that's where it begins to impact your life. That's what we ask for. Lord, don't give me just facts. Lord, help me to apply it. And so what we find here is this, is that in these chapters, there's a dramatic shift that's going on. What I love about Nehemiah, haven't you been impressed by Nehemiah? I mean, there is nobody that probably had more like biblical wisdom than this man. Because he had led the people to the point to lead a a reform, a change in Israel. He began to set goals. He, he was a man that was focused on the task, rebuild the wall. You remember he had to, uh, Sam Ballot and Tobiah that tried to distract him before? But Nehemiah had the uncanny ability to be able to stay focused on the task. The task was this, build the wall. That's what God called you to do. Focus on it, get it done. He did it. Now, folks, now, not only is that great wisdom, but you know what he recognized? He recognized the time when it was... Uh, It was a time for somebody else to lead. What happens that I love about this book is that Nehemiah recognized that during this specific time in the life of Israel, they needed a spiritual change. The people had already rebuilt the wall. The defenses were up. They had had houses. They had a temple. They had all of these things in place. What they needed was a spiritual change. And so what happens in the book is that you'll see that a a brand new leader comes onto the scene, a man that had been there for a while, a man by the name of Ezra. And what we find is that the first six chapters, Nehemiah is leading a change physically in the city of Jerusalem. What we see in the last chapters is this, God's the one that's leading change in the lives of the people. Hey, focus, uh, it, what, what I love about this is that, man, they learned the focus that it's not just the external things. There was a need to focus on the internal, to focus on a spiritual revival that would happen in the people. So let's look at this together. And what we find here is this. I need to update us a little bit to focus uh, on what, what's happening here. This revival took place at what's called the Watergate. You remember that? I told you guys, that's not the event that happened in America. Different deal. All right. Wholly different. All right. So what happened was is the people came in through the eastern gate on the, uh, on the east side of Jerusalem, the Watergate, and there was a plaza that was there. And uh, what happened was is that during this festival called the Festival of Booths, sometimes it's called the Festival of Tabernacles. You, guys, you familiar with that? Uh, It was a time where the Jewish people would come together and they would build these shacks. They would gather wood and uh, they still do it to this day. Did you know that? Even in Jerusalem, if you go during that specific season, you'll see that the people, uh, typically they'll even set it up on top of their roofs. Uh, Sometimes they'll, uh, you know, set it up on a balcony if they're in an apartment setting. And they take these sticks and they'll, they'll set up a small booth. And the whole purpose and intention to do that is what? To remember what it was like when God had led them out of Egypt, when he redeemed them, brought them out of Egypt, and brought them into the wilderness. You remember? They didn't have houses. They were constantly building, uh, having like a tent, living in it, and then they would move along. 
Well, what they were supposed to do during this festival is that they're remembering the 40 years that God had led them in the wilderness. And they would live in these booths to remind them of the faithfulness of God and providing for their needs for 40 years. Folks, that's incredible. You go back to the book of Exodus and you find that their shoes and their clothing, what? It never wore out. Uh, folks, that's miraculous. You go back and you, you read, how do you feed two million people in a wilderness? They were like anywhere near my size, good luck, it takes a miracle. And, and you find that he's feeding two million people for 40 years with manna from heaven. Folks, when they would go back and they would build these little shacks, these homes made with wood, with sticks and branches, they would live in it for a period of seven days, okay? For one whole week, they would live inside these booths. And what would happen is that they were remembering the faithfulness of God to their forefathers. Now, can I just pause just for a second and let me help catch us up on this? You have to remember they had been in captivity for approximately 70 years, okay? For them, they had not celebrated the festival of booths that entire time. For most of these people, it would be the first time that they had celebrated that. Can you imagine? Okay, the first day, day one of the festival of booths, a person, uh, the priest of God would stand up and read God's word and they would hear it. Folks, that's knowledge. And then what they would do is the rest of the week, they would be living in a booth And what do you think that was intended to do? Not just give them information, but folks, they would begin to experience what it was like to be like their forefathers that had lived in the wilderness. You know what that is? Experience. Hey, folks, uh, one of the greatest things that you can do in your Christian life is to remember the faithfulness of God and to remember where he's brought you from. That's what it was intended to do. Every year they would be reminded of how You remember back when our forefathers, when God provided everything that we needed? Hey, that will encourage you in your Christian faith to remember how God's come through for you. Now, I want you to notice, look what happens. Look at verse 8. When they did this, they began to understand. Look at verse 8. It says, and it caused them to understand What happened? For a full day, they had gathered facts about the scriptures. They had gained a surface knowledge of understanding. And folks, and, and that's what it's talking about. The fact is, day one, Ezra stands up, reads the scriptures. They're collecting a reservoir of facts about God. But that's not enough. God wants to take you beyond your knowledge, folks. He wants to take you into biblical wisdom on how to take God's word, apply it to your life. That's when change happens. Now, let's look at what happens. I want you to see what happens on the second day. Look at verse 13. And on the second day, they were gathered together, the chief of the fathers and all the people, the priests, the Levites, and unto Ezra the scribe, even to do what, folks? To understand the words of the law. Folks, day one was focused on information. Day two, notice what happens. These men, notice who they were. Who were they? When you look at the passage, you'll notice that it says the people that came back to Ezra were who? It says the chief of the fathers. These were the leaders of the different families that were in, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, okay? These were the fathers, the heads of the house. They came. It, it says the priest, 
These were like the other preachers, all right, the other ones that served in the temple. And then who else? The Levites. These were the worship leaders. These were the ones that came back to Ezra. What were they coming back for? What did they want from Ezra? They wanted to understand the words of the Lord. They, they didn't want to just have the reservoir of information. They said, we want to go a little bit deeper. We want insight. We want to know what God's word means for us and our people. Hey, folks, you, you want to know the greatest thing that you can do in leadership is, folks, le- learn how to lead people to the word of God. That is where they get true wisdom. This word, if you'll circle that word in your Bible, that word understand, it's an important word. It means understand, it means insight, it can mean uh, foresight, it can mean wisdom, it can be shrewd and practical management of daily affairs. How about this? It gives you wisdom for situations. I like that. They were coming back to Ezra for what purpose? They didn't want to have facts. They wanted to understand the word of God so that they could use it. You see, a person that's biblically wise understands that they don't really understand anything until they're able to apply it to their life and it changes. All right, let's uh, look at what this means. Now, I want to give us a little bit of uh, understanding about this word, okay? When you come to the book of Psalms, all right, God's word has the ability to make you wise. Where is it you get wisdom from? Wisdom always comes from who? God. The only recording that we have of God's words are where? Scripture. So if scripture is the recording of God's word, wisdom comes from where? God's word. And, and, and I want you to see from the book of Psalms, David talked about wisdom. You, you, one of the things that fascinates me, you remember the story when Solomon was young and he was a, a young ruler and God gave him the ability to choose anything? You remember that? God comes to Solomon and he says, Solomon, what is it that you want? I'll give you, what you whatever you ask. Remember what he asked for? Lord, give me wisdom. You know why that was so impressive? Because wisdom wasn't just, uh, he didn't want it just for himself. He wanted it so he could rule the people well. Wisdom, like for leadership, is incredibly important. And God was so impressed with what Solomon asked for. God said, you know what? I'm not going to just give you wisdom. I'm going uh, to give you possessions. I'm going to give you riches. Uh, I'm going to give you all of these other things because you asked for a good thing. Folks, wisdom is a great thing to seek. Man, we need biblically wise people in churches. People that know what God says and they know how to apply it. Look at what happens. Psalm 119, verse 97, it says this. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day long. David says that when he came to God's word, he would meditate on the scriptures. It would stick with him throughout the day. I think of like a good meal. It sticks with you throughout the day. And so he's, he's looking at God's word and he's meditating on it. And he says, oh, how your word, it's my meditation. As he would judge people, he would be reminded of God's word. As he was leading the people, God's word would come into his mindset. Well, what are the benefits? Well, if you continue reading in Psalm 119, there's three benefits of getting into God's word. I want to show it to you. First, it makes you wiser than your enemies. When you know God's word, it makes you wiser 
than your enemies. Look at what he says in verse 98. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. What does he say? Man, you want to know how to handle problems? Handle situations with your enemy, with people that are a thorn in your side? You ever have people like that? Stop looking at people in our church. All right, and so um, you know how to handle people? Folks, you want to, God's word gives you the ability to be able to handle situations of life, difficulties, and trials with grace. Hey, folks, that's a great benefit of biblical wisdom. You can handle situations because you're more wise than your enemies. Why? What makes you wise? God's word makes you wise. It leads you in the direction you should take. I love that. Second thing is this. It makes one wiser than their teachers. Sorry, teachers. All right, I know we got some in here. All right, so look at what it says. Verse 99, it says this. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. What does he mean by that? It makes me wiser than my teachers. That sounds like uh, pride. That's not what he means. What he means is that teachers uh, have an accumulation of what? Knowledge. They have lots of facts. They have book smarts. They have all of this information that they know. But he's saying, man, when I know your word, Lord, you give me more wisdom than my teachers. I, I love that. He, it gives them more understanding than them. That's why I, I love when we have Christian teachers. One of the reasons we have a Christian school is that when you mix both, you have biblical teaching, biblical understanding mixed with knowledge. That makes a great combination for teaching little kids. Man, that's a powerful combination. Man, we need more godly teachers that will be involved in schools that will know how to not just give them facts and information and truth, but also provide biblical wisdom to our kids so they can learn it at a young age. Great thing to have. But notice what else. It makes one wiser than their elders. Look at what he says in verse 100. I understand more than, my, than the ancients. He's talking about people, by the way. Because I keep your precepts. Now, what he means is, is that being able to know God's word and to do God's word gives him more understanding, more wisdom than who? People that were older than him. Hey, folks, uh, it's not about age, Okay. You don't have to be old in order to be wise, right? Biblical wisdom comes from knowing God's word and doing it. Can I say that one more time? You want to be a wise person? It comes from knowing God's word and doing it. That's biblical wisdom. And folks, that can happen in kids that are just young. I, I've always been impressed sometimes. My kids... Man, they know how to use their Bible verses from Awanas like weapons. They'll be like, they'll use a verse on you, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I just got corrected by my five-year-old. Thank you so much, Awanas. No, I'm just joking. So, uh, no, it's a good thing. Because what they're saying is that they don't just know the verse. What? They know how to apply it. Hey, folks, that's a great thing to have. Now, what I want us to see is, if you look at verse 99 there, it says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. That word understanding there is the same word that's used in Nehemiah that we just studied, that word understanding. When uh, it's translated insight, understanding, wisdom, same word that's in the book of Nehemiah. Now let's go back to Nehemiah and I want you to look at verse 13. 
And it says, on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. Same word, same word. What did they want? They wanted a depth of understanding God's words, so they came to Ezra, and what were they seeking? Ezra, would you teach us God's word so that we can use this with our people? Hey, folks, I would, I'll be honest, like as a pastor, somebody came to me after a service and said, man, I want more. Like, that's like music to your ears. You're like, what? That like never happens. All right, yeah, please, come. Folks, these men were so hungry for God's word that they come to Ezra, who was their peer, and they said, would you teach us more so that we can gain understanding? We want what you got. Hey, that's incredible. Now let's look at the pursuit. The pursuit of insight. You guys are like, man, Ryan, like, yeah, we're just getting through this. All right, so first thing is this. Gaining insight takes time. There's no way that you can gain wisdom overnight. There's no way to put it in the microwave and cook it up, and in 30 seconds you'll have it. I know in, a, in America we would love to have that, but we don't have that. It takes time, right? Wisdom takes time. It takes a, a consistent walk with the Lord that gains wisdom. Amen? Those of you that have been, you know, walking with the Lord for years, you know that it takes time to develop wisdom because it comes from life, uh, life experience. It comes from walking with the Lord over time. Notice the second thing, gaining insight takes people. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. That doesn't mean that people are the source of wisdom. That's totally a different subject. The source of wisdom is who? God is the source of all wisdom. But folks, we can learn from people that are wise, right? God puts people in your life. When you see people where it seems like they got their act together and it seems like, man, they know God's word, they love God's word, they're after it. Folks, those people are biblically wise and we should seek them out and say, hey, you know, could you tell me more about what it is that you do in your life so that I can learn from it? It's a, it's a very helpful thing to do because here's the reason why. What we find is that these men approached who? They didn't come to Nehemiah. They came to Ezra. You know why? Have you ever thought about why they didn't go and seek out somebody else? Follow along with me now. Nehemiah had backed away because he realized it was time for Ezra to lead. Ezra was the one that had some incredible goals in his life. Many of you that are in here, I, I just hope that you'll buy into what I'm about to tell you. Ezra was an incredible person to lead them, spiritually speaking, and this is why. I want to show you, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you ever teach anybody, please listen to this. Ezra set a goal in his life. If you look at Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, I want to show it to you on the screen. This is what Ezra said in his life. I love this verse. For Ezra had prepared his heart to do what? To seek the law of the Lord. What does that mean? That seek is the idea of continuously seeking God's word. Hey, that is a great person to seek wisdom from. You know, if I'm going to pick a person that I'm going to seek wisdom from, I want somebody that knows the, the Bible. Notice what else he says. It wasn't just a heart to seek the law of the Lord, but to do what? And to do it. And to what? Teach in Israel statutes and judgments. What was his goal in life? It was to know God's word, to do God's word, and to teach other people to do the same thing. Hey, folks, that is a fantastic way to make an impact for God's kingdom. 
Man, that just fires me up. I hear about a person named Ezra doing this. And folks, why was it that they came to Ezra? Evidently, he didn't just set a goal. He was going after it. Man, isn't that good? He didn't just set the goal. You, you know, what kind of person is it that you should learn from? Okay, you should learn from a person that's a student of God's word. Learn and put yourself around people that study the Bible, know what it teaches, and they'll be able to help, help you in doing the same thing. See, Ezra was a person that studied God's word. He was a person of the book. He had the goal to know God's word. But second of all, not just that, his second goal was to practice God's word. Folks, uh, it's great to have people that have Bible knowledge, but he was a person that wanted to do the word. Man, we need more of that. And then not only that, but he also wanted to share God's word. He didn't keep the truth to himself. He also wanted people to learn the valuable information and the wisdom that he had learned over years of walking with the Lord. Hey, that's a great goal for anybody that's involved with leading people. You know, as I was thinking this week, I think about pastors and people that are well-known. Man, if somebody offered me like today, Ryan, uh, I got you the opportunity. You can come and you can have lunch with John MacArthur. Or you could come and you could have lunch with a Chuck Swindoll. Uh, don't even have to think about it. Sign me up. I want to be there. Why? These are men that have walked with the Lord. They've made it their life's devotion to seek God's word. And folks, like, I would just, I would get all over that opportunity. Why? Because these men are biblically wise, and I would love to just learn from them. What has God taught you over the years? What is it that you could teach me? What are some mistakes that I could avoid that you've uh, gotten past, right? And uh, man, that, that's what's happening here. He was gaining insight takes it from people. But notice what else. Gaining insight takes the right attitude. Folks, can I say that one more time? Gaining insight takes the right attitude. You know why so many people can't gain wisdom from other people? Pride. We don't want to learn from anybody. You, notice what happens in the passage. In verse 13, I'm, I pointed out the people that came to Ezra was who? It was the, it was the fathers, the leaders of the household. Well, who else? It was the priests. Those were the ones that were also priests with Ezra. Who else? Levites, the worship leaders. Folks, these people came back to him and they had the humility to say, hey, we want to learn from you. Hey, folks, can I tell you that one of the reasons why we don't get wisdom and why we don't get help in living out our Christian life and being discipled by people is why? It's because of pride. It's because of a bad attitude. It's because we're not willing to learn from people that are around us. Folks, that's pride. Folks, uh, I've learned that people that are willing to learn, they're available, they're teachable, and when you have a person that's like that, you know what you can do? There, there is, a, there is a, an incredible amount of potential that rests in people that are te teachable, people that'll listen, people that want to be receptive instead of resistant, right? Reminds me of a, a, a movie. Sorry, guys. All right, there was a movie called Phenomenon, okay? I don't know if you ever watched that movie. It had John Travolta in it. And John Travolta, he's like 37 years old. His name was uh, George O'Malley in the movie. So what happened to him was is he got struck by lightning, and he has this brain tumor that causes his brain 
to have a, a, an increased brain activity so that he can take on information at an incredible rate. Like uh, he can't sleep at night. He's like reading through books and books. He's accumulating all this information. And he, he branches out in order to, to seek a way to solve a big problem in his life that he always had problems with. You know what it was? He had a rabbit that kept getting in his garden. And he had tried everything, okay? He had built the wall around his garden with high walls so that a rabbit couldn't hop over him. That didn't work. So he dug up the ground and what did he do? He buried the fence so that it couldn't get underneath the fence. That didn't work. This man, uh, he, he set out, he's like, what could it be? So one day he gets the idea, because yeah, remember, he's really smart. He decides, you know, I'm going to try a different tactic. I think I'm going to leave the gate open. You know what he found? He watched as he was sitting on his porch as the rabbit hopped out of the fence. He realized in all of his tactics, he thought the problem rested outside the fence when really the problem was what? Within. You know what I've found in the Christian life? So many times we think the problem's outside of us when really the problem's inside of us. We just don't have the insight, the ability to recognize, I don't have the ability. I need help. I need somebody to come alongside me and to help me in my faith. Hey, folks, that's okay. That's what churches exist for. We're not for perfect people. We're for people that need help, right? And, folks, if you have that perspective of I'm not going to be prideful, I'm going to be humble, folks, you can work with people like that, right? And, folks, that's how revival happened in Jerusalem because here's the leaders that are saying, you know what, we don't have the answers, Ezra, we need help, folks. That is a great place to be. I don't have the answers. I need help. God, you can work with that, right? And now notice what else. Gaining insight takes the right source. Uh, look at verse 14. And they found written in the law, which was the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Notice what happens is that they came to where? What was the source? Notice it. And they, who's the they? Well, that's the Ezra, the heads of the house. That's the Levites. It's the priests. All of them, they came to God's word together, and they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that they should do what? They should dwell in booths during this, this, this festival to remember where God had brought them from. Folks, what were they doing? Ezra, when they came to him and they were seeking out wisdom, what did he do? He turned them where? Ezra didn't like have them sit down. Let me just kind of tell you all about my life a little bit here. He didn't do, he took them to God's word. Hey folks, that's where the answers lie. When you need wisdom for how to raise your family, when you need wisdom for how to handle that business problem, when you're looking for ways to handle that situation that's going on with your friend, folks, where do you go? You turn to God's word for biblical wisdom. It'll lead you in such a way that you'll never be disappointed with how it leads these people were gleaning from God's word. And folks, it took time. It took patience. But notice also, gaining insight takes the right response. You know, Thomas Jefferson made a very good statement. Thomas Jefferson said this, when the heart is right, the feet are swift. You know what he means by that? When your heart is right and it's responsive, 
Your actions are surely to follow after that. Look at what happens here. When, he's basically saying when your heart uh, says, Lord, teach me, and he shows you the path. When your heart's open, your, your feet will follow that when God reveals it. Look at what he says in verse 15. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mountain, fetch the olive branches and the pine branches and the myrtle branches and the palm branches and the branches of the thick trees to make booths as is written. You know what happens? Immediately when they heard God's word, what did they do? Was there a delay? Was it like, do we have, need to have a meeting first? There's no meeting. There's no committee. There was a, God's word said it, let's go do it. Man, I love that. We don't need to have a, cons- uh, a, a, a big meeting or a conference. God's word said, let's go build the booths. So guess what? Build the booths. Hey, folks, that's wisdom in practice right there. We don't have to have a dis- I, I can't stand. You ought to know what a, a pet peeve I have. Please let me just go for a second. Uh, it, it's good for me. It's counseling. All right. Thank you all very much. You know, I hate when people say I need to pray about that when, when it's something that's already revealed in Scripture. Folks, you don't have to pray about whether God would have you serve in, in a ministry of the church. It's God's will for you to serve in ministry, to minister to people. You don't have to pray about, does God want me to read the Bible this year? It's already his will, folks. You don't have to pray about that. It's not, you don't have to pray about, God, do you want me to have a set-aside time to pray this year? It's already answered. It's been revealed. It's his will. Do it. Right? Man, don't let, okay, sorry. All right, here's the point, folks. Thank you all very much for listening to that. But my point is, folks, is that when God reveals it in Scripture, what does it mean? It means what it says. It's like what you say to your kids, right? If I said it, I meant it. Don't question it. All right, so look at this, the next part, the products of insight. First of all, is personal effort in spite of difficulty. Look at what happens in verse 16 and 17. We're almost done. It says, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. Notice the picture. Imagine in your mind of what the people had to do. Did it take effort in order to build it? Imagine like Tobiah and Sanballat are outside the walls. They see the people of Jerusalem are walking outside of it and they're picking up sticks. They're out there collecting olive branches and they're picking up this kind of branch and and they got this pile of sticks in their arms. You think people were laughing at them? They had nice houses in the the walls of their gate uh, of Jerusalem. They're walking in and they bring them in and Sam Bell is like, what are y'all doing? We're building booths. Why are you building booths? Well, because our ancestors, uh, back a long time ago, God brought them out of Egypt, and, and he provided for their needs. We're remembering how God provided for us. That's ridiculous. You think it took effort for them to go out and to collect all that? And they were going to live in it for seven days? What do you think that teaches? Hey, folks, in order to live out a biblically wise life, it takes effort. There's nothing easy. I mean, I... I you, American culture, we teach people there's an easy way to everything. There's not. Uh, I pass by people in my neighborhood. They got a great yard. I personally don't have a great yard. 
I look at their yard. I don't ever sit there and wonder, man, I wonder how they got a great yard. What's the secret? What's the shortcut? And there is no shortcut. You got to pull weeds. You got to get out in the yard and you got to do hard work. It's just like everybody else's yard. You know what happens? It takes effort. When you see a person that has an incredible walk with the Lord, and, and man, they know the word, and, and, and their prayer life is powerful, you don't have to sit there and wonder, well, I wonder how that happened. What's the shortcut? There is no shortcut. The short, there is no shortcut. You have to put time into it. And folks, that's exactly what's happening here is that, man, a biblically wise person recognizes, you know, it, it does take hard work to do God's will. But man, that's the best place you could ever go. It's the best thing that you could ever do. You see, wisdom teaches you that God's way is what? Say it, you know, it's the best way. Man, it might be a lot of time. It might require a lot of humility. But man, it's, it's worthwhile when you do it. If you don't believe me, keep going along. Notice what happens. There has to be a willingness to change. Look at what happens in verse 17. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths, and they sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, that's Joshua, unto the day that uh, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great, what? Gladness. You know what happened with the people? They had never done it before. Did you notice that? There wasn't resistance. We've never done it that way before. You know what they said? Hey, this is a part of our history. We're going to go out and we're going to obey what God says. And we're going to do it and we're going to trust him for it. But notice, there's great rejoicing. Why? Folks, they're in a shack for seven days. Can you imagine a family? I'm thinking like my, my, my wife uh, and my, my daughter and my two kids inside of a shack for seven days. I'm not thinking great rejoicing. I'm thinking great suffering, right? Why were they rejoicing? Think about it. Though they might not have been in the middle of their mansion or their house that they had made that was special for their house, true biblical joy and gladness doesn't come from things. It comes from a right relationship with the Lord. Can I say that one more time? Folks, it doesn't require a mansion for you to have great gladness and joy. Folks, you can live in a shack and you can have great gladness and joy because gladness and joy comes from living in fellowship with God. It has nothing to do with the size of your house. You could be on the other side of the world as a missionary and if you're in the middle of God's will, you can have gladness and joy in your heart even more so than if you're living in the States and you're the CEO of a large company and you're out of God's will. Folks, being right where God has you, doing exactly what God says, that leads to gladness and joy. And folks, that's the wise path that God calls us to live. Folks, it, it calls for biblical wisdom to know that. If you are wise, you recognize this. Being where God wants you is the greatest place you could ever be. Why would I ever want to settle for less than what God calls me to do? Because folks, it's second best. Second best. First best is exactly where God calls you. You know what we need? Just to be obedient because that's the place where you have joy and gladness in your heart because you're being obedient. You know what wisdom teaches you? Do the hard thing. It's worth it. 
when you have somebody that's wronged you and you know that you, or you've wronged them, you know what the, the biblically wise thing to do is? Be humble and just go tell them you're sorry. You know when uh, you didn't handle it the best, biblical wisdom says it's better to have a, a, the problem with your brother fixed than it is to go home with it being that way. Biblical wisdom teaches us, hey, you need to work with character because God sees it even if people don't. You know, biblical wisdom tells you to, to work the right way. Folks, that that's, takes hard work. It was worth it. Now notice lastly, and we're done, the preservation of insight. How do you maintain wisdom over the course of your lifetime? Look at what verse 18 says, and we'll be done. It says, also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. You know what they did? Daily as they were living in their booths, there would be a time where they would open up God's word and they would read it day by day by day. You want to know how you maintain wisdom over the course of your life? You have a daily walk with God through his word. Can I tell you that there is, that's the indispensable thing in your Christian life. You come daily back to God's word. What is it that you have to say to me today? One of the things we do in our discipleship groups at this church is we teach people to read God's word to use the HEAR method. H-E-A-R. Highlight, explain, apply, respond. You want to know why we do it that way? To be reminded of the fact that God daily has something to say to you if you'll listen, if you'll hear it. Folks, that's how you get biblical wisdom day by day by day. Return run once again right back to the same well. Hey, folks, when you find a good well, what do you do? You keep coming back to it. And folks, the, the word of God is a bottomless well of wisdom. If you'll only return back to it, you'll find that it'll never run dry. And man, that's exactly what they're talking about here. So how do you do it? You guard consistent time each day, individually in the word of God. Believers need to worship privately to be ready publicly. I love that in this passage. The people gathered together in this, as an assembly at the end. Why? Because they had worshiped the Lord through the week. Your personal private worship prepares you for public worship. Did you ever know that? Hey, folks, one of the greatest ways you can get something from Sunday is this. Walk with, the war, walk with the Lord Monday through Saturday. And when you show up on Sunday, I promise you it'll mean a lot more to you. It's like uh, me. I can't survive on one meal a week. I know y'all are looking at me. You could afford to, Ryan. But folks, listen. Hey. We need to eat spiritual meals throughout the week. And folks, listen, uh, my prayer is this, that God would raise up our people to be biblically wise, to not just have a reservoir of knowledge, but to know how to apply it to our life and use it in a biblically wise way to do God's word. Let's pray. Uh, as the ushers are coming forward, we're going to receive this evening's offering.